Good evening. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue tonight with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We are in a section of Anuchetas, um, dealing with Bhagavan's impartiality in relationship to the creative act and his partiality in relationship to his care and loving concern for his devotees when he advents within the material world. So he accomplishes both these things simultaneously. He's, he can mystically remain, maintain his impartiality and he can at the same time show partiality to the devotion coming from his devotees. So it was explained earlier that that devotion that he experiences from his devotees, even those who are within the material realm, the devotion itself which attracts him is not of anything material. That the devotion itself is part of his intrinsic nature. It's actually part of his Lidini Shakti. So this Shakti is coming through the, well, we commonly refer to it as Bhakti. And it's coming to us through the agency of those Bhaktas that are in possession of it. So the Lord, he's interacting He's, he's coming into the material world to exchange love with his devotees. And that, Jiva Goswami is very much going through great endeavor in this ending portion of his Paramatma Sandarbha to bring out the fact that the entire creative act in relationship to his external energy is done simply for the benefit of the devotees. The rest of the living entities, it's like a side benefit. They have a creation in which they can extend themselves as, that they can adopt the false sense of self within that material creation. But the creative aspect itself, the general intent as seen through the eyes of Srila Jiva Goswami and evidenced through the Bhagavat Purana, the whole meaning of creation is it is a playground in which the Lord can enact bhakti with his devotees who are still within the material realm. So last discussion, we left off with uh, this empowerment by the Lord of either the devas or the suras, 
surahs by the Lord even to engage in his leela. In other words, he has to empower the various modes of material nature that predominate those jivas even to enact his pastimes. So jiva says here, we're going to reread a little bit of the 99th Anucheta, that Visuddha Sattva is different from material sattva. So this is where we begin to understand that the Lord has his own sattva goon, which is entirely transcendental. So Jiva writes here, Why should this guna called Visuddha Sattva not be material? So he's already started on this subject of infusing his sattva so that his leela can be enacted within the material realm. So the Jiva poses his own question. Well, he's taking his energy, he's putting it, he's utilizing it within the material realm, and you're calling it Visuddha Sattva. What's to differentiate that guna coming from Krishna himself or God, whatever manifestation of the Lord <coughs> is enacting pastimes? How do we how how can we say that it's that it's different? I mean, isn't a guna or isn't a mode? Even if you how can you call it transcendental? It's still acting on the material plane. That's really what Jiva's saying. How can we see it as different from Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva, the three modes of material nature? How do we see Visuddha Sattva as different? He's asking the question himself. How, how is it not material? The other modes are material. How is Visuddha Sattva not material? When and where does he, Bhagavan, infuse this superlative potency? And where and when is this potency used by the Lord? And how is that, by the influence of Visuddha Sattva, the defect of the disablement of the results of preformed karma, and the enablement of the results of unperformed karma does not accrue. We went over this at the last class. Really, it's although it sounds confusing, it really means how is it that this Visuddha Sattva, this other potency, can be introduced to what's going on in the material world by the regular course of karma, where for every action there is a reaction and there's the mode of goodness, passion, and ignorance and then there's this interaction of action and reaction which we call karma. How can this other transcendental potency come into play and not have, not interfere with karma? How, how's that possible? So in these Anuchetas, Jiva is really going to to bring out all this esoteric knowledge as to the workings of the Lord's internal potency, his Swarup Shakti, which is his intrinsic nature, what happens when he comes into the material world 
and enacts pastimes, how, how can he pull it off without just really messing up the gears of, of material nature? Because he's so powerful, he's, he's so different, and his nature and his transcendental dom, which itself descends with him, how is it that that can come into the material world and just not put the whole material atmosphere on its head? Send the whole, the whole action-reaction thing of karma and everything in a tailspin and just, like a hurricane, blow material nature to pieces. I mean, if you think about it, it's a very valid point that Jiva's making if we consider how powerful the Supreme Lord is and how insignificant one little material universe with one little planet is in comparison to the Supreme, who has billions of universes pouring from one of his aspects, one of his purushas, Karnadakshai Vishnu. Millions of universes are coming. How powerful is that? And then you take all that and you put it into a form. He manifests a particular form. So many different incarnations are coming. And he enters one universe. And within that universe, he comes into the atmosphere of one planet and enacts pastimes with the insignificant jivas there. How can he do that without just just blowing everything to pieces? I mean, think of it quantitatively, the power of the Supreme who can manifest all these unlimited universes and all these unlimited administrators within each universe. And how powerful is that? And then that personality is taking a form and coming in to a specific universe to enact Leela and side with the Suras and defeat the Asuras. How can he do that without just blowing apart material nature? Jiva's saying, well, we need to know that because if we're going to understand the advent of the Lord, then we need to put in perspective how these things happen. So Jiva continues by quoting a verse. Remember, this is all from a question by Maharaj Pariksit himself as to how the Lord could come into the world and not and not show partiality because we see he comes in, he enacts Leelas, and it certainly seems like he's partial. How can we say he's not partial? How can we say he's the friend of everyone? When one person he's, he's praising and, and joining in battle, and the other person he's destroying the person on the other side in battle. It seems like he's a friend to one and not the friend of the other. And how can we say that he's most dear to everyone? This is Pariksit, was Pariksit's question. So we're, we're going deeper and deeper into Sukadev Goswami's response. So, Jiva now quotes the seventh verse from the seventh canto. Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas 
are the qualities of prakriti and not of the self. Their decline or growth, O king, do not occur simultaneously. One goes up, the other goes down. It's just the nature of it. Uh, the influence of the modes of material nature, it's a, it's, a, it's a mixture. And when sattva predominates, then rajas and tamas recede. That's the way it works in material nature. The gunas, beginning with sattva, are of, are of prakriti only and not of the self. So first of all, Jiva says, let's look at the verse and the first thing to understand is these qualities of material nature really have nothing to do with the self itself, either the supreme self or the mini-me self, the Jiva. The gunas don't have anything to do. You may accept the gunas as your habitat. Some accept the guna of ignorance, some passion, some goodness. You may, you may adapt that and, and accept it through a false sense of self, the false ego, you could say, you know, I'm one situated in the mode of goodness, passion, ignorance. We see that material nature corresponds with those desires on our part. We're born into a family of goodness, passion, and ignorance based on what our past endeavors within the material world were. Otherwise, there's some real partiality going on. So unless we're going to accept reincarnation and, and, and accept some higher tr scriptural truths, then it really becomes very, very difficult to explain what's going on in the world of the world we live in. I mean, why are we here in this country? We have an education. We're pretty decently fed, uh, at least up to the last few decades when they started introducing other foodstuffs uh, into humanity. But we're pretty well taken care of here and in other parts of the world. They can't even get a cup of, a cup of rice, uh, you know, a week to survive on. Then, then we have some real problems when we try to we try to take and look to the world around us and see such disparity. And unless we can enter into philo the philosophy as presented in Scripture, then there's some real problems there. And, and the people become just, they become unbalanced psychologically. God's so partial. I go to. I went to Africa on a trip, and the people there were, you know, the children were dying of starvation. You could see their bones coming through their skin. What kind of a God created this world? What kind of a God is that? I mean, you can understand. People could get really psychologically traumatized unless you have some philosophical backing in Scripture. And now we're studying here under the toolage of Jiva Goswami the most the fine discrimination of, 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 of the Bhagavatam and the questions are so much deeper than even that simple question. That simple observation of uh, in material nature. So 
the value of scripture as presented in, in coming into cyclic succession uh, through realized through the realized devotees gives us this this entrance into these fine points. So the gunas are not of ourself. They are of the external energy. That, this means that all the gunas that belong to the self, Parameshwar, are ever expanding and thus are not, of the, not the same as the gunas of Prakriti. So the Lord's always expanding, is what Jeeva was saying, and his gunas, we're talking about the Sutta Sattva his, here, his guna, it's always expanding. It's not like one's going on and what's, one's, one's coming down. So he goes on and he's, he's going to explain to us, this means that the Lord, his intrinsic potencies, when he makes an advent, can simultaneously nourish both goodness and passion simultaneously. He can make the demigod stronger and he can make the demon stronger at the same time. This is expressed in Vishnu Purana. The three material gunas do not exist in Isvara. And the potency of bliss, Hladini, the potency of being, Sandini, and the cognitive potency, Samvit, exist without any deviation only in you, the support of everything. So it's like, whoa, it seems like he's a comparison is being made here. The Lord has his own internal gunas, and they're not in conflict with one another. They actually nourish each other. Sandini, Samvit, Fladini, and they're all increasing simultaneously. It's not like when the bliss increases, the existence goes away. No, you continue to exist when the bliss increases and when the environment for the Lord's Leela manifests more and more transcendental uh, potency, it becomes more and more subservient to the Leela of the Lord all the all the trees are bowing down the plants when the Lord walks through the forest or are offering their fruits and their flowers. All this is happening and the enjoyment of all these entities is increasing as that's happening. And the knowledge of that love is increasing. So it's all getting it's getting better all the time. <laughs> That's <laughs> the Beatles saying. <laughs> Everything, all the time. That's the Lord's internal potency. You are completely free from the material gunas, and thus the potencies that give rise to material happiness, distress, and a mixture of both are non existent in you. These two verses that Jiva quoted from here are from the Vishnu Purana. Because these gunas do not belong to Bhagavan, therefore, they do not grow or decline simultaneously. But being mutable, sometimes one or the other of them declines and the another grows 
through mutual suppression. We'll go on to the next Anucheta, 100. Maya conforms to the Leela of Bhagavan. This is a very interesting Anucheta because it certainly looks like when the Lord comes into material nature and conducts his Leela, his Leela comes under the jurisdiction of the material nature. It certainly appears like that. It appears like the Lord grows from childhood. You know, that he, he that he that he starts to crawl and then gradually stands up like a regular baby, you know. And he he does some amazing things. He grows into a young adolescent. And then he becomes a princely king. So it certainly seems like he's just like one of the gang here. He's just like anybody else, just coming along. It certainly seems. And, he, and when he engages in, in Leela, and, and it certainly seems sometimes he's defeated and sometimes he's victorious. So how are we to see that and how is that the deeper esoteric meaning of that Leela that's enacted within the material nature explained through the theology of the Bhagavatam. So Jiva continues. Uh, Maya conforms to the Leela of Bhagavan. Thereafter, Sri Sukha demonstrates the Deva's ability in the matter of assisting Bhagavan and that of the Asuras in fighting with him. Additionally, when Sattva or one of the other Gunas becomes ascendant, then Bhagavan's Leela appears to be under the influence of that particular Guna. After first mentioning this, Sukha then denies it. Then Jiva presents the following, again from the beginning of the seventh canto. Sukadeva Goswami speaks the following. Bhagavan, to whom the qualitative movements of time conform, enables the gods and sages when sattva is supreme, the asuras when rajas is predominant, and the yakshas and rakshakshas when tamas prevails. Then Jiva explains this verse. When sattva is predominant, Bhagavan enables the gods and sages. This means that he infuses his prowess, the limited Upadika, by sattva into their bodies, which are constituted of that nature, by which he makes them able to assist him. Similarly, to be explained Similarly, to be explained that when Rajas is predominant, he infuses his potency delimited by Rajas into the Asuras. And when Thomas is, Thomas is prevalent, he instills his potency delimited by Thomas into the Yakshas and Rakshakshas. He thereby makes it possible for the Yakshas and others to combat him and for the gods to incur defeat while showing himself to be 
similarly defeated. In this way, it has been showed that Bhagavan undergoes victory and defeat for the sake of the diversity of his leela meant to nourish the joy of his devotees. This is described in the narration of the churning of the ocean of milk. So Jeeva is pointing out here that what's going on, we could say, under the hood of the Lord's Leela is in order to, first of all, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the Leela itself? Well, it's simply to enthuse his devotees. He's not really, he doesn't really need to come into the material world and side with the Davis to kill the, you know, the Asuras. He doesn't, it's, that's just a, that's a byproduct of his Leela. It's a byproduct of his Leela, and the Leela itself is, is being conducted for the purpose of nourishing the love of his devotees within the material world. So that's the whole purpose. The purpose is to nourish loving exchange with his devotees. As a byproduct of that nourishment, then he enthuses them or puts them in a situation where they become dependent upon him. They seem to be helpless, where they have to cry out, oh my God, I'm, you know, this is happening, my house is on fire, the... You know, so many leelas are there. We look, the devotees are put, they're both put into good positions like a Dhruva Maharaj or, a, you know, given a heavenly kingdom or Bali Maharaj where the Lord becomes his, becomes his servant. So all these leelas are enacted and the, the purpose of the leela is simply to nourish the bhakti of the devotee. Sometimes it's nourished positively, sometimes it's nourished what we would call negatively, but from the devotee's viewpoint, it's all good. So you can have somebody like Queen Kunti saying, please bring on the bad stuff, it really helps me love you more. Now, the Lord knows perfectly how to exchange with all of his devotees. While that may work for Queen Kunti, it doesn't mean it works for every devotee. Some devotees are not enthused to love the Lord when they're put in distress, and others are. But that's a circumstantial thing also, because ultimately, as we can see, as the devotee advances in devotional practice, he doesn't require a particular Odipana to enthuse his love, a, a, a particular catalyst that enthuses Odipana, something that, that brings out the love. There, Of course, there is the stage of Ruchi. In the beginning of Ruchi, we might like one person's kirtan and not like another's. But as a devotee advances through Ruchi, Asakti, Bhava, praying, and everybody's kirtan is attractive, attractive to them. But in the, we may have a certain taste. We may like one devotee may like halava, and the other devotee may may like sweet rice or burfi. 
or some devotees just like the chorus and samosas. <laughs> we could have a class just on on the foodstuffs if we can read in Chaitanya Charitamrita the menus of some of the feasts that were served to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associates. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, so many preparations we can't even begin to to pronounce the 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 Bengali names for the preparations, what to speak of, what's that one made of? <laughs> so yes, it's it's all attractive, it's all good. Again, again, back to the point of the the unlimited power of the supreme. Now we're talking about him taking a form and engaging in lila. The point here is his potency is going into a particular guna of material nature which predominates the the character we could say or the the nature of of ajiva the devas are primarily in the in the mode of goodness and therefore when they're when they when they're going to win he's giving his potency into that mode of nature which predominates them. That's the point that's being made here by Jiva Goswami. It's seamless from the viewpoint of material nature. It, the Lord's Leela seamlessly comes into material nature and he enthuses, he enthuses the, the Asuras in their in their in their modes of material nature and he 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 enthuses the suras, the, the, the demigods. And sometimes one's victorious and sometimes the other's victorious. But for either of them to even engage with him, he has to enthuse the whole atmosphere with his potency. Because otherwise what's there to even enthuse him, what's his adipana, to even engage in any activities with the jiva. His, his, he's enthused by, by the desire to engage in loving exchange with the devotees. Of course, he enthuses the devotees and their love enthuses him and, and the whole Leela is a byproduct of that and and a way for the Lord to increase to increase their love, his devotees' love. So he engages in the Leelas. Now the Leelas are so transcendentally powerful that even after in in time we, we look at it through time, the lens of time. Well, Krishna's not here right now. We, did, we missed Lord Chaitanya by 500 years. Woe's me. That's not the way the Leela works. The Leela is transcendentally powerful. Lord Chaitanya may not be here manifesting the Leela. But then again, he never quit manifesting the Leela. From the trans- transcendental viewpoint... You or I can 
enter into that Leela. Krishna Das Kaviraj, Vrindavan Das Thakur, they've left us doorways. We can go in with our intellect through doorways and ourselves experience the Leela. The Guru can come or we can sit with the Sadhu, the realized Sadhu, and he can relate the Leelas and we can enter into those Leelas. You could say, well, it's not the same. (laughs) I wanted to be there when Krishna was actually here. Well, wherever we are in our devotional life, we we should relish what's made available to us. Oh, well, uh, Lord, Lord Chaitanya is not here right now. Oh, my guru's halfway around the world. So therefore, I can't experience devotional service. I can't relish the practice. I can't relish his instructions. I it's not the right attitude. It's not going to nourish our growth spiritually. Our growth spiritually, if we can just have the right attitude and see things in the right perspective, then... Lord Chaitanya will be here. The Guru will be here. And Vaikuntha will be here. We hear this from Bhakti Vinod. I saw my home become Vaikuntha. What an experience to have. To be that Krishna conscious that you're not seeing anything independently of the Supreme. You're not seeing anything that you're interacting with as not being enthused, as Jeeva is explaining here, with the Shakti, the internal Shakti of the Lord. So now we go on to a little bit of discussion of the pastime of the uh, of the churning of the milk ocean. So now Jiva quotes a verse from the eighth canto, seventh chapter. Vishnu entered the Asuras in his demoniac feature. Vishnu entered the Asuras in his demoniac feature, intensified their strength and prowess. The gods in his divine aspect, enlivening them. And the snake, Vasuki, in the form of unconsciousness. Really, it was a... You wanted to have some definite, heavy unconsciousness going on if you're going to be pulled from both ends and your back is going to be rubbed about about this huge mountain. So, you know. That was really kind of him. So, it's right here. You know, in the Bhagavatam verse itself explaining this pastime of churning in the milk ocean, we're seeing... The Lord had to enter the Asuras. He had to enter the Suras. He even had to enter the serpent. In this case, now Jiva explains it. In this case too, it was only for the diversity of his Leela that he so entered. A doubt is now raised. Well, wait a minute. I'm not going to just... So Jiva raises his doubt. If Bhagavan is subject to the influence of time in which a particular guna is prominent, I'm sorry, predominant, is the independent nature of his leela not lost thereby? 
And does not this excessively close relation with that guna clearly reveal that he is partial? Okay, so now let's look. Jiva says, wait, wait a minute. What, what, what went on here? What you had was you had a situation where the demons were ahead in the game. They were they were predominant, and the, and 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 unfortunately the devas they couldn't get their act together, so they went to Brahma. Please help us here. Um, they've taken all our power. They're taking over things. We need an election. <laughs> we need to do something here. <laughs> We need to have a rebellion, whatever. We can't get the upper hand. They're about to take over. Well, they're going to take over our heavenly kingdom. They're going to take our wives from us. They're going to take all our opulences. They're going to steal away all, our, our, all of our mystic cities. We're going to just be left out in the cold, wifeless, homeless, powerless. So this is all happening in the context of the time of the world. And the asuras are, are moving forward. So they go to Brahma. And Brahma says, well, it's beyond me. Let's go to Vishnu. So they go to Vishnu. And Vishnu says, I've got a plan. Let me give you... You, you can do this. We can trick them. And we can get you re-energized with that nectar that, that energizes you as a deva. So I've got a plan. Let's let's churn the ocean of milk, and I may even step in in a special form to to pull this off. I may have to come, but let's just let the leela develop here, and let's churn the ocean of milk to produce nectar, and let's assure the asuras that they're going to get their portion. So Jiva's saying. So, sure, looks like the Lord is coming into this and performing his leela, giving his instruction, himself going to come in and distribute the nectar. And he's doing this in the context of the time element of the material nature, is what Jeeva is saying. That kind of diminishes the Leela because now he's working for Maya. How do we explain this? How do we reconcile this? How do we put this into proper perspective? In response, Sri Sukha says, Bhagavan is he to whom the qualitative movements of time conform. <coughs> Meaning that it is time itself corresponding to the period of prominence of the various gunas that conforms to him and not the other way around. The compound here functions as the constructive construction of Bhagavat Sarana, one whose shelter, Sarana, is Bhagavan. So we're using this terminology tat Kalanuguna. So that's 
the word usage is, is being brought out a little bit here. We'll go on. <clears throat> and it'll become more apparent. Jiva continues, this means that time itself, corresponding to the material gunas, is always under the control of Bhagavan. For while he plays in complete independence, time is set into motion. Pavart Yamana, by Maya. Time is set into motion as he plays, which is ever subservient to him. Maya is ever subservient to him. In this respect, time is a special functional capacity of Maya that impels the beginningless flow of the aggregate karma of the cosmos in accordance with his will alone. That time is a function of Maya was said in Bhagavatam 10.63.26. Time, destiny, and so on, all these constitute your Maya. Jiva continues, Alternatively, the meaning of Tat Kalanuguna is as follows. Bhagavan is he whose qualities, qualitative aspect is time, which is ever obedient to him and which is characterized by the power of independent action undertaken exclusively for the sake of blessing his devotees. The sense is then that the various gunas are all impelled by maya only according to the volitional act of the Lord. This is expressed as follows. O friend of the unmanifest prakriti, this phenomenal phenomenon of time by which the cosmos is impelled is your own volitional act, chesta. So, how do we respond? The response is there. Time is really, well, time I am, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. So, you're thinking that the Lord is forced to enact pastimes under the influence of his external energy. And according to the, the dominion or the rise or fall of the, of the, of the fortunes of the world, uh, you think that's really the cause? But really, the, the cause is all this is happening according to the Lord's volition. The whole material manifestation and any specific aspect of destiny as it plays out within the modes of material nature is ultimately under his control because Maya is his energy. So you really have to, you can't, don't look at the Lord's Leela or his involvement when he does this manifest involvement within the material world, you can't look at it from your perspective and say, oh, look. It's like the prisoner saying, oh, look, the king's now here with me in jail when when the king visits the jail. 
No, the king's not like you in jail. He's the king. Although the door may have slammed shut behind him when he walked in, that was to keep you in him, in here. Not to keep him in here. Because when he wants to leave, the door will again open. When you want to leave, the door remains shut. So, you really have to look at what's going on from the perspective of Shastra. You have to look at these verses. You have to read the deep meaning. You have to see when the, ver- when the verse says the Lord infused his energy into the Asuras so that they could even have the power to pull and churn the ocean. All this is happening and time itself is, is not under the control of Maya. Rather, time is the Lord's energy, which it's his energy that effectuates action within the material world. He's the, it's his volatile act. So it's his, well, not a blade of grass moves without his sanction. It really takes some considerable amount of Krishna consciousness to be able to see everything from this perspective all the time. Otherwise, we fall prey to saying, well, the Lord's partial. The Lord, when he comes, he's just like one of us. He's a prisoner in the jail with, like we are. He becomes influenced by goodness, passion, or ignorance. Becomes fearful and runs away from Jarasandra. He's afraid to go into battle. You know, he's just look at him. What kind of God are you worshiping here? You know, he's not nothing special going on. No, there's a lot special going on. The fact is, you have to be able to enter into that mystery. And if you can turn your consciousness properly and develop the right transcendental attitude towards not only yourself, but what's going on around you and the whole environment, then you can live in Vaikuntha all the time. And you can be aware of and enter into the Leela of the Lord at will. Samadhi waits for you. That's the glory of, of this gradual path of spiritual development that's been charted for us by the Acharyas. Now we have to be realistic. We have to know our own personal limitations at this point in time. We have to be able to be realistic about what's our best avenue for advancement according to our particular circumstance at this time. But we can always be in a situation where we're advancing ourselves spiritually. And if we think about it, if we think about our spiritual life in those terms, then significant changes are going to come about. 
But if we always say, well, the, the, you know, the cards are stacked against us, the environment's against us, the times are bad, my body's against me, my community's against everybody's against me. There's more people for you than against you if you remain in the association of the devotees, I guarantee you that, than you'll find anywhere outside of that association. Uh-oh, I spoke over my time. Thank you so much for your association. <laughs>